Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are glad to have you in this broadcast, particularly if you are a pastor or a ministry leader or a church member who knows that we are the church and thus we all have a leadership obligation especially to the next generation. We're going to talk about teen pregnancy and abortion today. And joining me to do that is Mark Lucas uh, from Faith Talk 1360. Mark, welcome. I'm really eager to hear what you have to say about this. Always a privilege to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Kim. And your parenting journey is a little closer to this to these waters than mine. My, I'm now a grandmother, but uh, wow, the, the days of my daughter's teen years in particular, and my son and my stepdaughter and stepson, I mean, they... They're just, you, it's unforgettable, the journey that your kids take you through, isn't it? <laughs> it is a journey, and I have two teenage daughters, so probably a few gray hairs in the temple right now on my <laughs> beautiful locks. So, But yeah, no, it's, um, it, it is a journey. And again, I was sharing this just when we first jumped on. When we think about just the change in what's happened with technology specifically, I'll just say this quickly, and then I'll let you get back to it. It's sure. like 18 newspapers. When you think of the 60s and the 70s as... I would wake up in the morning, I'd see my dad reading the paper. And that's kind of how I navigated the morning. My dad would read through the paper. My mom as well. And that was about what they consumed per day in information. Now, as I look to my right and I see my cell phone, 18 newspapers on average a day are being really ingested into their minds, this younger generation. So there's just this onslaught of information. And again, we've got to process and ask ourselves, what is the narrative? What are they feeding their minds, And right? somehow I'm thinking it's not Newsmax and Salem Radio type <laughs> content. Wouldn't that be amazing? From their phones. Was. I mean, yeah. now, let's go, kids. Yeah. Keep reading. Well, and the thing of it is, Mark, so I, I've been in media for over 40 years and, you know, talk radio most of that time or, you know, covering news and music radio. And, I mean... You have to, so going on the air, like today, I'm old school. Mark's got all of his devices and his tablet and his cool, he's got a a hard copy Bible. But I have like five printed out stories to do this, to do this segment because I need, you know, it's like I could write them down as, but here they are. So anyway, um, part of my job has always been to research whatever it is I'm talking about and trying to even research this. The, the the hits that come back from a Google search, for example, for teen abortion law, uh, teen pregnancy, uh, any of the search terms that we could use for the, what we're going to discuss today, everything that comes back is, here's how to get your abortion, teenager. Mm. 
everything that comes back is from Planned Parenthood, Guttmacher, uh, the New York Times, and mainstream press that is very much in favor of teen abortion. And I'll just, to set the stage, you know, I my abortion happened in my 20s, so I know about young adulthood and abortion, but I don't have any personal experience of teen pregnancy and abortion. But of all the women that I've interviewed, one of the stories that has always stayed me stayed with me the longest um, is a woman who was very public with her testimony named Julie. And she said she was 16. She was living in her friend's basement on their couch. She had no car, no job. She had, you know, left her home. And she wanted an abortion. And I think it was Planned Parenthood, whatever the provider, whoever the provider was, I know Planned Parenthood also does this, said, well, we'll help you get a judicial bypass. So we'll take you to the friendly judge. They had a the girls on a bus. Let's get a group. And they were all on the bus. They go to the friendly judge. And the judge says, are, do you have the maturity to make this decision? And she said, I was standing there in the courtroom looking at him saying, I don't, all I have is school and my friend's couch. No, I don't have any maturity. What are you asking me? And she said, I mouthed the word yes, and he stamped my paper, and off I went for the abortion. And people have no idea when they're advocating for adolescent rights and teen privacy what they're actually advocating for. Because, you know, part of her recovery as an adult was having to forgive all of those grown-ups in her life who failed her. Mm-hmm. They all failed her. And sadly, it's not just in, out in the world out there. This happens in the church as well. You know, so the, our, the purpose of our conversation today is, okay, church, are you ready? Do, will you even know that there's a pregnant teen sitting in the pew or showing up at youth group? Are you ready? And hopefully we'll, we'll do some equipping in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we can't. So the, the inspiration is that there's a new film and New Yorker magazine, which is very friendly to abortion. And it really, these, these publications, uh, pretty much all of the mainstream media, Mark, they are not just neutral reporting. They are advocating for abortion and abortion rights. And it's clear just from uh, browsing the headlines that they have an advocacy position that they are saying, this is what you should do, not simply here are the facts, here's the material for you to make your decision. They're advocating for it. So they review this film called, um, it's, it takes place in Greece, and it's a foreign film, Memoir of a Veering Storm. And the metaphor is there's a storm outside as a young girl is being driven to school by her mother. She's 14. And, you know, the storm is that she's pregnant, and mom is, of course, clueless, and the you know, the daughter sitting in the back seat is detached from mom and treating her as the clueless person that she clearly is. She gets out of the car. She walks through the school, into the schoolyard, ditches the fence, you know, jumps over the fence, meets up with her boyfriend and another friend, and off they go for her to have her abortion that day. And, you know, there's no—and in Greece, there minors do require parental consent. You know, and if you think about it, 14-year-old— versus a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, right? As parents, we're giving more rope with each year, right? Right. You're going to let a 17-year-old do what you wouldn't dream of letting a 14-year-old do. For sure. But here she is, 14, mm. right? And so she goes she goes and has the abortion, and they, they, they show that, not in any sort of a graphic way, but she's 
she's uh, sedated, so she's under general anesthesia, so she doesn't know what happens. Then the next thing you see, she's in recovery. Her boyfriend's gently brushing her arm to, you know, wake her up. And the minute she wakes up, she's in tears, and she's sobbing. And that's the last we hear of her until she gets back in the car for mom to pick her up from school. How was school today? Good. It's the end of the movie, right? And the storm is over. They thought it was going to be a big Mediterranean cyclone or something. But there was, but the storm, the storm didn't hurt anybody, Mark, because she got that abortion. Mm-hmm. Is the clear message of this film, right? Hmm. And the filmmaker wants us to believe that the problem, the only problem, is that she can't tell her mother because of st- uh, stigma and taboo. It's crazy to me. I mean, and yet it's out there for people to to view and watch and again to be one of the 18 newspapers that they're ingesting another piece of media that's so far away from scripture so far away from the truth and the reality it doesn't even address the undercurrent i mean there's so much undercurrent in that story that's not addressed right it's just giving you kind of a veneer fake small little dose of one vantage point Mm -hmm. and that's the narrative they want you to see and ingest. Well, and right. I mean, I think, first of all, is this is the filmmaker's idea that it's taboo and stigma. And I asked all the actors on the project, would they tell their parents, no, it's in our lives, but I would never tell my mother. Well, okay, mom didn't know. Why is she weeping? Mm-hmm. Mom wasn't working any taboo or stigma on, was she weeping because she couldn't tell her mother? Because mother would judge her? They don't say. But it's clear that abortion has broken her heart. Yeah. Somehow, it's not a net good in her life. Right. You know, and and they want us to believe, abortion advocates want us to believe that it's problem solving and that it's paving the way to a, a good life, a better life. Right. And it can never be so. Yeah, it's so true. And it negates that the reality is God's written his moral law in our hearts. And yet there's these moments where the morality within our hearts, whether or not a person has said yes to a relationship with Jesus, there's still a consciousness. There's still a moral law that's on people's hearts in the creation of God creating us in his image. And the reality is, is that is why we believe and we see in Scripture that there is a weeping there. There is a sense there of her conscious knowing that she has violated and really committed and, and taken a life. And and yet there's there's a wrestling there. You you can kind of see it, even though I haven't seen it, and I told you that, and the listeners maybe at this point haven't seen the film. Right. There's just this heaviness. There's just this piece that I don't have to tell my son who's nine when he is getting a consequence of being grounded or doing something wrong at school. He knows that he's done wrong. I don't have to lay out a, a big book of rules at his elementary school, he knows that there is this consciousness and this awareness that he has where ultimately he knows right and wrong. Ultimately he does. So anyways, there's a lot to kind of unpack there. But again, that part isn't being communicated in the cinematography of that film. Well, and as a woman who's experienced child loss through abortion, part of the weeping is it's pregnancy that makes you a mother, not giving birth. We call them expectant mothers, mm-hmm. right? And so she, we, she, does she already have a sense that she has lost a child here? Does she already have a sense 
that, you know, the losses are, are mounting for her. Now there's a barrier with her mother. You know, there's a barrier with her father who's never mentioned in the film. There's a barrier with all of the adults in her life that she can't disclose this huge, you know, heartbreak that she's experienced. And the losses, uh, including the loss of her innocence that day. You know, they frame this as a coming-of-age story. Oh, my God, what parent would not try to protect their child from coming of age in that way? Yeah. Right? For sure. So the American Association of Pediatrics is on board with this. You know, they they have an, a lengthy article about uh, how they do not want mandatory reporting to parents, mandatory parental consult for minors to have an abortion. So just be aware of that, Mom and Dad, that if your child chooses to confide in the pediatrician that they've been seeing since you know they were little and that you trust as a medical provider in their life, mm-hmm. he may very well be telling them about a judicial bypass or some other thing that takes you out of the conversation. You know, they say we strongly encourage patients to talk with their parents, but we don't think that family communication is improved by mandating it. Really? I mean, so as a as a pediatrician, would you not call the parent in that moment and say, Susie is pregnant. You all need to have a conversation. Here's how I might be able to be a resource. But you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so asinine. It's so upside down and evil, isn't it? So uh, here, and it, just to kind of put this in context, only 10 percent of the abortions that happen every year in the U.S., still about a million procedures. It's it's a steady number since the 1970s. Uh, but only about 10% are teenagers who are having an abortion. And one out of every teens has had an abortion. One out of every 10 teens has had an abortion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not, it's not the primary audience, if you will. It's not, they're, they're not the target demographic of the abortion industry. But they're, the abortion industry is ready for them, right? right. And so um, contraception use has grown. And teen births have fallen by 77% in the last 20 years, which is kind of amazing to me. And when the New York Times covered that little factoid, they said it really wasn't due to abortion increasing. Although, uh, Mark, they warned that, you know, well, with Roe being overturned, you know, we may, we may have a gathering storm of children. And, of course, they do all the fear-mongering. That if you don't give the teen the abortion she's seeking, she's going to have very, very negative consequences in her life. And they don't really back that up with anything other than the Turnaway study. Mm-hmm. And I urge you to read a guest uh, that we had on the program recently, Dr. Priscilla Coleman, if you're interested in that story. The Turnaway study was done by the abortion rights advocates at the University of California uh, in San Francisco. Uh, which is funded by Warren Buffett with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars Mm. to produce a research outcome that says abortion doesn't hurt women in any way. In fact, not giving women abortions is what hurts them. So they produced this turnaway study, and it's now being, you know, debunked and, you know, turned away (laughs) from the academic community. But the idea that the only thing that could harm a teen mother or a teen, you know, expectant, uh, expectant teenager, is to not give her an abortion, to me, is, again, so upside down. Yeah. What is the answer, then? You know, what, what would we do 
if our neighbor's daughter shows up at church pregnant and she's 14 or 15? You know, how would the church respond? Not just the pastor, although I hope pastors already have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope you're prepared <laughs> to, right. to give an answer for the reason that you're going to counsel her for godliness. You know, but, but all of us as Christians and as followers of Christ need to be prepared. You know, so, so tell me your thoughts about that, because you're, you're in that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're in that, that journey right now as a father. Well, I think there's two specific angles that just for a moment I want to navigate with you. I think we've all probably seen at this point, I was so proud of them even having the commercial on for the Super Bowl, mm. He Gets Us campaigns. And the He Gets Us, the reason why I love it so much is I think with the Chosen series and then He Gets Us, it really is portraying the heart of Jesus, that Jesus in Hebrews tells us he becomes our high priest. So there's this understanding that Jesus in kenosis would empty himself out and become a man so that he truly can be able to understand the heart of people because he was 100% God, 100% man. It's hard for any of us in our finite minds to really understand that completely, but the reality is he's our high priest, and Jesus fully does get us. So we as the church, the living body of Christ, in leadership, the body of Christ, we've got to be able to create a place for people to gather and worship in weekend services and in small groups where there's grace and truth. And we've got to be able to walk out grace and truth from a vantage point of Jesus gets people. And we got to get back to a place of asking ourselves, what does the church look like where Jesus would ultimately paint a message that the church is a hospital for sinners and that there is a transformational process that's happening as the Holy Spirit changes us when we say yes to a relationship with Christ and we begin a process of abiding in him, remaining in him, continually abiding in this relationship with Jesus, not just on Sunday checking the box and then we sit back and become an armchair quarterback and we don't really do anything, but we truly are walking and inviting the Holy Spirit in to be guiding and shepherding and leading us within this beautiful big C church body of Christ. So we've got to really ask ourselves as church leaders listening in right now, because I'll address that first, is there a beautiful balance like Jesus modeled because he gets us of modeling grace and truth? We've got to really ask ourselves that. And are we walking that out in a way of godliness and holiness, but is there grace and truth? And I know that sounds very big and maybe even a little bit ambiguous, but the people that maybe you could even ask in your leadership team or the people that are kind of the real diehard Christians that have been serving and your key volunteers over the last decade listening in right now, if you were to give them a survey and ask some questions, is there a great balance of grace and truth? I heard actually on the way in even this morning, Kim, a podcast of a show that I think is going to come on the Salem Network in the line of fire, and Dr. Brown was really asking us to say, okay, what would it look like for us not to embrace the sexual sin of people that are coming in that are homosexual to our churches, but do we have an atmosphere of God's holiness, but his grace and his truth, 
that he even believes that just like in the Jesus Revolution where Jesus saved hippies in the 70s and 60s, that there might be a spirit of God. We know what's happening right now in Asbury and the movement of the fire right now that's happening across the U.S., but maybe God's going to come in and he's going to start radically saving the LGBTQ plus generation of people that are really confused right now with their gender. But is the church a place that they can come and worship? Not that we're accepting that, but they can come in and walk in and worship. And they can come in and actually feel the fire and the movement of God where we're teaching the word of God, but we have grace and truth. So that's the first thing that I would say is just really asking What does grace and truth look like? The other piece that really resonates deeply in my heart right now that I think, again, Jesus modeled this perfectly for us is this. We have a balance of high invitation and high challenge. And what I mean by that is this. High invitation, the perfect example, is Jesus changes Peter's name from Little Reed to Little Rock. And when he changes his name in this beautiful, intimate setting with Jesus and Peter, he goes on to say, On you, Peter— The gates of Hades will not overcome the church, and I will use you as an instrument, as me, as the rock, to really be one of the pioneers to really bring the movement of the church across the world. And then just 13 verses later, when Jesus is in a moment with Peter, Peter says, you're not going to Jerusalem, and he starts rebuking him. And Jesus looks at him, gives him a bloody nose, and says, get behind me, Satan. And there's this moment of challenge. So we have to ask ourselves, high invitation is in the church. Are we really inviting people into this beautiful, deep relationship with Jesus that teaches them their gifts, their shape, their purpose, the ways they can serve the body of Christ, the ways they can understand the Spirit of God, really dive them into a deep, intimate relationship, understanding their calling, their purpose, their gift, their shape, and then from there, have this bloody nose holiness standard for what we accept within the church. And I think that's the same as true within the home as well. I've got to ask myself with both my teenage daughters, am I deeply investing into them in this high invitation relationship where I'm teaching them with spiritual gift tests, I'm teaching them from God's Word how God has wired them, how he's made them, how God sees them, how he loves them, their identity in Christ. I'm deeply rooted in the home with my wife in those conversations, and then we can take them to God's Word and say, here's the standard of holiness. Well, and yeah, which is beautiful. And I think that that's—you're right. It's It's not simply having a talk, don't get pregnant. It has to be creating a culture where they see and understand that the adults around them are living out the biblical mandates. And so they understand that it's possible, you know, and then they become emboldened to trust God with their very lives. Because that's what's really at stake when you're a teenager and pregnant. Are you are you going to trust God? And I'm not suggesting that we should have, you know, girls becoming parents at 14 and parenting children. I don't think that's feasible. I don't think that's necessarily the ultimate good for families. You know, but there's kinship care, there is placing children for adoption. There are there are alternatives that don't involve ending a human life. And I want to say, you know, for anybody who's listening who has already experienced abortion, that is not a condemnation. 
you know, there is grace for us. God forgives what he forbids. There's a tension in that that I never will understand fully, but that God forgives even what he forbids. And I am a walking testimony to his forgiveness after abortion. But because of the grace that I've been shown, I understand. And, you know, they one of the steps of grief now, the way that they're expressing it, Mark, is that you adapt. You know, you you have to acknowledge it. You have to accept it. You have to connect with it, and then you have to adapt. And having to adapt after abortion means you live the rest of your life with a loss. And so how how could we consign that to teenagers, right? They're going to have to carry that the rest of their lives. And so I know that if you are, we're, we're almost out of time, but if you are interested in making your church a place where teen pregnancy does not become, you know, uh, part of the culture of death, let's put it that way, Embrace Grace is one very good resource that is church-oriented and designed for churches. There's also a training called Pro-Grace, where you can learn that God's, you know, God's unique and brilliant design, Mark, means there's no division between mother and child as he knits the child in the mother's womb, that what's good for the baby will be good for her. And if we could, I mean, even that this seems to be such a radical idea in our culture, doesn't it? Yeah, really I'll, I'll give you the last word with a minute remaining. It's just a joy to be able to be on and to be able to have these very challenging but very needed conversations that we get to have with our listeners. Thank you, Mark. Mark Lucas from Faith Talk 1360 here in Phoenix. And if you want to learn more, just go to our website at cradlemyheart.org. And I hope that you will. We'll link to Embrace Grace and many other resources as well as to the uh, secular articles that we referenced today. Thanks so much for being with us. And I pray that as you wrestle with the issues, that God would win. Thank you. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola preventing abortion, and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.